This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm very happy to welcome Shanika Hillcox from New York City, where luckily she's not buried under too much snow after all these big storms. She's an influencer marketer and a freelance writer and speaker, a brand strategist and a marketing consultant. And she focuses on storytelling, of which I am a big fan. And she is a big proponent of diversifying the wine audience. Last year, in 2021, she was recognized by wine enthusiast as one of their 40 under 40 tastemakers. So thank you for making time for us, Shanika. It's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to having a chat with you today. Great. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to this myself. I, I love that you were, you know, sort of recognized as 40 under 40 because you're only 31. <laughs> so you have quite a long time before you hit 40. Uh, this is a massive achievement. And I know that your background didn't really start with wine. You did English and Spanish at university. How in the world did you get to where you are in wine, being an influencer and a marketer? How did you find a path from sort of your university studies to wine success. Absolutely. So I, yes, as you mentioned, I studied English in school with a minor in Spanish and at the time was really gung-ho about being an attorney. I actually wanted to be an intellectual property attorney, which now that I think back to it actually has a little bit of relevance given um, kind of influencer marketing and some of the elements there. But um, yeah, in my junior year, I started to really think seriously about what that goal was going to look like and started to venture out and tour some law schools. And, you know, intuitively, I just wasn't getting the same spark and excitement as I did, you know, when I went to tour for undergrad and really just started to think about, okay, if I am going to go ahead and invest in yet another kind of higher education, you know, my university attendance was at a private school. So I was already kind of thinking, okay, financially, how much have have I invested in this? For our European listeners who don't understand the cost of American universities, it's immense. So yes, it's immense. We can't put enough emphasis on that. So it's always a big undertaking to to start at undergrad and certainly anything beyond that higher degrees it's very expensive so i i get that yes yes good good build right there um and so you know after kind of really deciding hey i think i'm going to go ahead and pivot i started looking at some other options where i could utilize my english degree and i definitely knew that i didn't want to be a teacher um you know just that level of of patience and really you know, one-on-one, that wasn't necessarily the the route for me. And so I had a few friends who were a year older than me that had been at a local advertising agency. And one of them in particular was spearheading the public relations department of that. And so 
I said, hey, you know, it would be really awesome to, now that I've graduated, get some intern experience. And I had discussed with her a little bit, some of my interests, and she had proposed the opportunity. And so, you know, all I knew was that you had to write well. And at that point, um, social media, specifically Twitter, was really part of a lot of the clients, their, their strategy. And so I said, Hey, I think I would love to take this up. It seems like I'm able to help these clients tell their story, um, share their initiatives online. And I went ahead and leaned into that. And so that was in Florida and really started to just understand, learn and love the integration of social. And after that experience, started to really look at similar opportunities, but in New York City, where I knew I wanted to move after I graduated. And um, shortly after, really just started getting laser focused on paid opportunities and found a uh, opportunity up here in New York that was really focused on more so like tourism and place marketing. It was a wonderful experience to help me really understand how to drill down on specific characteristics of a region, learn how to speak to and target media. And although I had a wonderful experience, I definitely was craving a little bit something (laughs) just more fun. At the end of it, I was reading publications like The Economist and, you know, very dense sections of the Wall Street Journal. And I definitely wanted to experience something a little bit more lighthearted. And so... At the close of the internship, I started getting very aggressive in my in my search for a full-time position. And again, for European listeners, I don't know if you're aware of the platform Craigslist. Um, back in the day, it was a very awesome forum where you could find everything from, you know, furniture to jobs. And that was the platform that I used to find an opportunity. There was a basically an opening that said, you know, do you like wine and can you write? And if First, I was a little tickled at kind of just the ask and it was a a bit of disbelief that this was an opportunity that could be available. But I went ahead and, you know, sent the email, submitted my information and then met my then boss at a wine bar in the Upper West Side. And she presented the opportunity and it really just sounded like a wonderful chance for me to exercise my writing skills. And I also forgot to note in the beginning of, of this response that I actually served and um, kind of hosted at a wine-focused restaurant in Florida. So I did have a little bit of introduction to wine via kind of menu pairings and and speaking to guests. And I said, hey, I think this could be a really great chance to, to tie the two together. I love the job interview in a wine bar. No other industry do you get that. I mean, this is, this is one of the great things about being in the wine sector. <laughs> Serious interviews take place um, in wine bars. So that's, that's a pretty cool path. You ended up being fairly influential, I hate to use that word yet again, in the marketing wing of Ernest and Julio Gallo, and you've just left that position and come back to New York, and you've striking out on your own. So what have you? What did you learn during all of these jobs that led up to now your own freelance job that you've just launched? Yeah. So prior to ENJ, I had done several. Um, I had several experiences in like more agency focused uh, positions, and I think when I kind of harken back on the experiences that have got me here thus far, really one of the biggest things, obviously, is working with teams and working in cross collaboration with folks, um, you know, having those other points of view and being able to create something based on a client's need was definitely something that I truly, truly enjoyed uh, about working on larger teams within agencies and also as E&J. 
you know, finally after pivoting from agency to in-house, one of the big things that I really hung on to is how, you know, larger companies really in, inject their values into their work on a day-to-day basis. And while some of my values definitely resonated with ENJ, I was I was called to start to really evaluate what my personal values were. I think, you know, especially here in the United States, over the last two years, there's been a lot of cultural, civil, societal, racial, you know, occurrences, discussions, dialogues, um, challenges, and with that, I, I just had to press pause. And especially being a New Yorker, when you're kind of sitting with yourself in your apartment, can't go out and take advantage of some of the offerings here to, you know, for lack of a better term, almost distract you, I think, from what can be a true focus. It was time for me to just look and say, hey, how do I, now that I'm entering my 30s, like what what kind of impact do I want to leave, not only on just an industry, but also the legacy that I desire to live as, as a person, as a human. And so it was important to me to kind of assess. And when I did take a moment to do that, I realized, hey, you know, there are some things in which I would like to lean into as a professional. And I think the only way that I'm going to be able to get that done is on my own. So yeah, just took the leap there. And, and that is a big takeaway that I think I have now leaned into being a, a full-time consultant. Well, you, as, as you mentioned, you know, it's been a very volatile time in the U.S. and, and around the world, but literally initiated by events in the U.S. Um, in the past couple of years. How, what was it like for you being a, a very young woman of color in, in those rooms with, um, you know, that t- traditionally tend to be filled with, you know, older men, um, and, and for lack of better words, sort of older white men, did you feel heard? Were you getting, were you getting your message across or was striking out on your own something that was going to allow you to be more authentic and not have to sort of adapt, you know, what you were doing to the voices in the room around you? Sure. Yeah. I think I have been in the industry and kind of observed now almost, you know, approaching, 10 years, the transitions and changes. I think, you know, I could probably say yes to your question, you know, five, six, seven years ago when, you know, at trade events, I would be confused for like the coat check or um, grand takings to where I might've been like the only kind of black woman in the room. But I really have to say I'm fortunate to kind of be part of this evolution, not just kind of following, you know, 2020 and everything that went down in that year, but just really observed and been happy to participate. And so, you know, in my last role, I absolutely felt seen and heard. My team was diverse and it was really such a pleasure to kind of just be in a space and place where there were several different folks across the spectrum of of gender identity, of race, of, you know, even age. And I was really appreciative to actually kind of exist, work and create with folks that are, you know, like it's, it should be this way because this is what our world looks like. But um, yeah, I mean, in the time, in years prior, I have had to just really exercise and understand what it means to be maybe the only or one of the few. And it's never really pivoted me so much so to where I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to leave this industry. Actually, it was quite a motivation to say, hey, for the next person that might have an interest in wine and, and want to be able to lean into this, not just you know, and from the front of the house or back of the house experience, but actually in the marketing realm or the PR realm, it was really important for me to kind of set, set the tone there 
to potentially be a, a mentor or um, someone that someone after me could could admire, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think this is this is such a key thing to look at in terms of taking a positive out of um, you know some pretty difficult things that have gone on definitely in the states and and around the world in the past couple of years. There is now so much more room for for more more people, more youthful ideas. You know, you have a skill set that is, you know, really relevant right now in terms of influencing and use of social media. I think it's great that you didn't feel, you know, as, as you know, you said you felt seen and heard by your most recent team at E&J. I think that's wonderful. And I really do think the States is doing that well and hopefully will continue to sort of be a, a light for the rest of the world to follow on. And I hope they'll continue improving. Um, You've said yourself that your goal now is to give voice to the narratives of people of color and queer communities and the hospitality industry and and beyond that even. It's a really relevant goal. It's a huge goal. How how are you approaching this with action? You know, what are your strategies now that you're your own boss? You know, I'm really happy to say, again, I've only been a consultant now for (laughs) since January 10th, officially, officially. But that's okay. <laughs> However, I think because it's been the early onset of, of this role, you know, 75% of my current client roster, the projects that I'm working on are with black owned or, you know, predominantly black and brown teams. So, you know, my strategy is really to take that and can c- continue as my, the roster grows. It is very important to me that a team is reflective of some of the goals in which they like would like to accomplish or achieve. I think a lot of folks are also understanding the the power of the black dollar and the black <laughs> culture to be to be totally frank. And so some people are just catching up and and I'm aiming in this vein to just assess and align with things that resonate with me first and then say, yes, I'm willing to partner. Or if you do desire to partner, perhaps you need to get your house in order before you kind of approach someone like me who is passionate and intentional about serving serving my community in this way. And so that I think is the biggest strategy. It's kind of happens at the initial step first and foremost before saying, hey, I'm, I'm agreeing to this and, and then kind of have to almost resolve something that might not have existed before. Um, in addition, I'm also, it's been really lovely in full transparency to just work with people who I'm really excited about. I think obviously when you're kind of in agency roles or in larger businesses, you really just have to serve the the clients or brands that are within, uh, you know, top tier priority. And it's been really awesome to have a little bit of choice right now in exercising how I'd like to partner with, who I would like to work with, and what brands I'd like to represent. And not all of them are in wine and spirits, which I think is also something that's important to me. I, I'm really excited about culture. I am a conscious consumer and really admire some products that fall out of the industry. And it's been exciting to stretch my muscle there and apply still my expertise and, and, you know, point of view to, to other brands that are outside of the, the industry that I do. And they, they need the, the same sort of um, voice and encouragement and, you know, prodding in many aspects as, as the wine sector does. So I'm glad that you're expanding that way. It, it's interesting for me because when wine enthusiasts recognized you, they, they sort of described you as inadvertently disrupting the digital space. 
And I, I referred to your skill set, you know, with your social media skills. What does that mean to you in advertently disrupting the digital space? How are you using your, you know, superpowers in this area to sort of achieve your own goals and benefit your clients and make spaces for, for more voices to be heard? Yeah, when I when I read the write-up from, from Wine Enthusiast, you know, I, you know, it's just totally humbled, I think. I have been on both sides of the coin. You know, I've partnered with brands as a influencer and I've also created the strategies for brands to engage influencers. And, you know, when I started activity on Instagram, my goal was never to be an influencer. I actually <laughs> almost cringe at the word a little bit. I'm just like, hey, I'm... It's a difficult word. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a person who who utilizes Instagram as a tool and I hope that the personality that I love to showcase with my in real life connections is hopefully what you're seeing online and what I am speaking to and showcasing. So for me, I think that's really where the inadvertently part comes from. It's just like who you meet, the Shanika that you meet in person, as much as humanly possible aligns with the Shanika that is, you know, at Shanika Hillocks on Instagram. And then in terms of the word disruptor, that's, I always like to really pause when when I read some a word like that in, in like a headline or a piece because for me I just think that it's a reflection of my humanity right like I don't think I'm disrupting by any means I'm just hoping to really get back to kindness to compassion to you know manners like it's so interesting some people I think in this very um, instant gratification world are like hey you know where's this link at? Or what can I do with this? It's like, wait, 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 like, can we say hello? Or how are you? Like, let's get back to just, you know, the the foundational elements and and tenets that I, I was raised on in terms of interacting and, and being kind and polite and aiming to still inject those characteristics in a very digital, fast, at your fingertips world. So I think that would be my response to to that question there. And And again, just aiming to always hang my hat on being humble. <laughs> well, it's a nice point you make about your humanity too. And I, it, one of the things I really missed during lockdown was eye contact and handshakes. It's, uh, you know, again, same, same as you being raised in a, you know, a family that considered manners very important. I think it's sometimes in, you know, in the metaverse, in, in the digital world, we lose that opportunity to make a real in human contact. So it's nice to hear you put an emphasis on your humanity and your humility. Uh, I think people forget the value of those things these days. And, you know, especially in a high powered industry and a fast moving world, uh, it's very nice to reflect just for a minute on how valuable those two things are, even though they're not monetary, they do sort of grease the wheels of all of our interactions. So I, I like the fact that you pointed out those two things. I think that's really important. And it's it plays right into my hand because you've been described as a quote unquote good influencer. And there's that word again, and I know hate it or love it, it's out there. <laughs> what does it mean to you, like the responsibility for being a good influencer, you know, as compared to I don't want to say bad, but potentially a less positive one. You've written about the difference of being on social media versus using social media. You know, tell tell us a little bit about your philosophy about this. Sure. So good and bad, up and down, happy side. Like I, I think I have definitely expanded my utility of binaries because I think it's such a limiting thing to do 
for humans. Like we're complex and multidimensional. And for me, maybe I would substitute that word for authentic. I desire to be as authentic as possible. So an authentic influencer. <laughs> and if I, if we're kind of going into that vein, I would say for me, that means, you know, on the days where I'm off, I will say like, Hey, this is what I'm feeling today. Or if there's another headline that of something that affects my community, I'm, I'm speaking to it on my stories, or I'm asking folks like, okay, it's been a tough couple weeks, or here we are, and yet another Monday in the pandemic, like, how are you feeling? And I will inject those things into clips of me cooking my dinner at home, because it's winter here in New York, and I've been enjoying <laughs> the ingredients of the season. But also, I will post memes because I need a laugh. And so I think for me, I, I really just utilize and, and am conscious of my platform use and what I'm speaking to because people do now purchase, make decisions, become advocates based on what someone will say on the internet. And so, you know, if I am speaking to something, is this misinformation? Is this my opinion? Am I emotional today? Like, I take stock, although I am quite active on a very regular basis of like, okay, what am what is the reason for me sharing this and 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 why? Um, so I think that's maybe how I the lens that I utilize when I'm when I'm talking about the authentic use of social media. And and to answer your second question about being on versus using, I think Instagram for me, social media for me is not the the final destination, right? I think one of the largest lessons that New York has taught me is, you know, the power of networking. And I think we all understand what that means in in a pre-pandemic world, right? I love that you mentioned handshakes and eye contact, um, saying your name, um, drumming up a conversation of interest. And so for me, my goal is to always say, okay, wonderful, though this person may have reached out to me via comments or DM, like I love to take it off the platform, you know, even if that means another digital space, i.e. email, you know, and when we were out and about linking and connecting with folks, I would always propose, all right, wonderful, great to connect with you. Here's my number, like, let's get a coffee. Can we meet for lunch at, at this event that you know, we are likely to both be in attendance. So that's kind of what I mean when I say use, you know, I always have to chuckle sometimes when Instagram might have one of its blackouts or like the algorithm changes and you have to think like, hey, if Instagram were to shut down Twitter, Facebook, TikTok were to shut down tomorrow, like what would you be doing with this quote unquote community that you build? Your quote unquote followers, uh, the audience. And so I always like to kind of pressure test myself in, in that way and just say, hey, like, if and when these platforms maybe don't have as much relevance, how how will we still maintain connection? Because this is a way in which we are connecting right now. Yeah. And that the ability to use, you know, what is a, a enormous public social platform to carve out more intimate space, I think is, you know, definitely a skill and and something that you have to practice, as you said, you know, to build up your ability to move away from that public forum into a more private space where you can have, you know, much more of a human connection. And I, one of the things that I'm driven crazy by is the the terminology, you know, being on social media or using social media is very similar to drug terminology, you know, being on drugs or using drugs. And I think sometimes social media can, can be a drug for people who aren't aware of 
the impact that they are having on other people's lives or the impact that the platform is having on theirs. So I, I would like to change the verbs we use around social media, but it's, it's interesting to, to talk about having social media, not as something that is sort of consuming you or that you are consuming, but that is a tool for your more private, connected interactions with people. I think that's really interesting to talk about. No, that's a wonderful point. And definitely, again, it's for me, my life on social is just just a snippet. <laughs> and there's a whole existence outside of it. So yeah, that's a great build. Well, it, you know, you're, you're still you're playing right into my hands, because you you've said that you try to challenge your clients to observe their performative optics and understand how they're participating. So, you know, in this whole discussion of, of social media and skills, that's that's a huge challenge to to confront an organization or or a singular client and ask them to observe their optics and how they're participating. Certainly in the wine sector, many businesses have been, you know, running very traditional lines for decades. How do you get your clients to the table and into this conversation about their roles and their goals and, you know, their optics out there in the world at the moment? Sure. I think one of the biggest things that I find happens on social, it's you know, I think two big components right now are like going viral and then like being part of a grander conversation, you know, if something, you know, is hashtag trending, immediately people want to be spearheading or be the talking heads of that conversation. And there's this angst and and almost like, okay, quick, fast, and, and let's respond now. And I've always been opposed to that in the immediacy. I think, yes, some things are absolutely necessary, especially if you're a driving force in that conversation. Um, however, I have really been embracing over the last couple of years personally and now within my practice with, with clients and, and partners, just press pause and like, let's look at truly what we have said before, if we have said anything, and share or assess the why we are choosing to now engage in this conversation. If Is it guilt? <laughs> is it, is it, the desire or the need to feel relevant and, you know, putting out a tweet or putting up a post without really looking internally can be just as detrimental or jeopardizing as not saying anything at all. So I think those are the types of questions that I absolutely do pose and do have a discussion with folks who I'm working with about. That's so interesting. Do, do you sit down with them and sort of go through their, their social media with them and, and point out, you know, where they've done something positive and where they might have potentially made a mistake? That's, that's very interesting to look at somebody's history of comments and, and things. That's, that's fascinating. Sure. And, you know, I think, Cynthia, it also goes outside of just social, right? Like, I, th- I think one grand example is in 2020 and 2021, I couldn't scroll through LinkedIn without seeing like an opening for a diversity, equity and inclusion officer or, you know, another similar DEI role. And, you know, suddenly this role becomes available. You want an individual to be responsible for setting strategies on how to really look at inclusivity, et cetera. But then you look at like the C-suite or, you know, really true decision makers and stakeholders and there isn't anyone represented. So it's not only just looking at social history and talking about crisis communication. I think it's also about like, okay, how are you truly making these spaces equitable, right? Like you could hire a Black woman to be in this role, but if she's still experiencing microaggressions, then how 
safe or effective or empowering is is the space in which you know she's working. So absolutely, it's really going from lip service to you know actual accountable steps. Sure, and it's similar to you know charitable giving. It's like well. Are you looking at the charities that actually are making sure that these funds hit the folks and and really make sure that the money is going into these individuals' hands? I think there was a study recently, and I don't know the figures, but after all of these companies made large investments to organizations coming to realize that actually they have yet to really come to fruition in terms of resources for folks. So things like that, where it's like, of course, it's easy to make a charitable donation. Of course, it's easy to put up a campaign on social media. But those are the nitty gritty and really in-depth assessments that I like to take stock of. Um, And it's sometimes it can just be, I like to kick off with clients too, and just saying, okay, DNI, like if that is something that we are aiming to address, if you say, hey, I would like to target a multicultural community audience, then that is part of my kickoff questionnaire. And it's like, well, what is your why? (laughs) Truly, um, not just because you have the budget. And um, you really have to take take stock of that because however well intended, sometimes those things can create more harm than good. So really like to just be a mirror in that way, because I'm also a person. Yes, I have the expertise, but I also have the lived experience. And I've seen what that can look like as as not just a professional, but you know, as a person as well. Absolutely. It's it's I, I hate to say minefield, but there there are so many missteps that can be taken in the name of trying to do the right thing at the moment. And I think what you're doing in your career is it's so valuable to so many companies who want to do the right thing, not just be perceived that way, but who actually want to be more inclusive and, and give more equity to, to more diverse communities, but they aren't sure how to do it. So, you know, it's the job that you're carving out for yourself and the career that's ahead of you is going to be incredibly important given so many circumstances in the world right now. So I I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. And I know our listeners will be very interested to watch what you do. So I'm wondering, where do you see yourself heading this year? What's what's on the deck for this year? And and where do you see your business growing in the next couple of years? Sure. Uh, This is so exciting to think about. I really took my time at the tail end of last year and even early this month to just really dream big. I think, gosh, when you're in the motions as a young adult, someone who lives in the city and and definitely an ambitious human, you, you can easily forget to just stop and dream. And I think that's a different thing than like setting goals and resolutions. And so some of those big dreams that I have, I would love to do more on-camera opportunities. Obviously, video is hyper-relevant, but... It's a space that I enjoy and I think such a great vertical for storytelling. So, you know, whether that's in a hosting capacity or a talent capacity, I'm looking forward to getting to understand that side of the business a little bit more. Also, just spending a little bit more intentional time with family. Uh, I am an aunt and i am just been so, so, so enamored with um, my nephew and being able to really take advantage of this work from anywhere life that we're in right now. That's something of, of importance to me. Also travel. I, I am looking forward to going back and visiting wineries and 
hopefully, you know, as soon as it's safe to get over to California, I used to go nearly annually and I, I've missed venturing out over there, but also other regions too. Um, the Finger Lakes is one of my favorites and I haven't been there in some time. Um, you know, I think obviously Italy is a big, big, big region on the top of my list, both for wine and food. And I have yet to actually visit, which seems um, nearly blasphemous speaking on the Italian wine podcast. But um, well, we've got to get you here. We have, you know, Italy, Italy is actually smaller than California. So once you're here, you can do quite a lot of traveling. It's just getting you from New York to here. Exactly, exactly. So that and and also just, you know, I it's so easy to say work-life balance, work-life balance. I think a lot of folks are embracing that term, but I desire a little bit of a life-work balance because I've, I've recognized and, you know, being in this position right now is a true testament. It's like every time I lean into exactly who I am, the work, the opportunities, the money, it will all come. Um, so yeah, I think those are my big three or four. I, I lost count in what I was kind of sounding off, but... <laughs> That's, that's, those are some pretty, pretty sizable goals for the <laughs> coming up. I think they're goals that are achievable. So probably a great list, but that's, that's a lot on your plate. So good luck with all of those things. I know just from having spoken to you for a short while and, and followed your career that you will achieve them all. I have absolutely no doubt. But before I let you go and get on with all of that hard work ahead of you, I have got to ask my famous final question. What is your favorite Italian wine? Even though you have not set foot here, as you said, blasphemy, we have to rectify that. But what's your favorite Italian wine? When would you crack open a bottle of Italian wine? So I love, love, love bubbles in all its forms. And I really love French Accorta, actually. Oh, you're singing my song. How wonderful. Yes. So I mean, the beauty about bubbles is that it truly can be enjoyed from start to finish of a meal. And as of late, and as I had mentioned previously, I have been really just kind of cooking up the storm and enjoying the creative inspiration that comes from being in the kitchen and using my hands in that way. So, you know, I would say I would be enjoying a glass of that while I'm cooking, but also once I, I table food and, and have like a friend or two over for, for lunch or dinner. So bubbles, regardless of the season, um, is something that I, I definitely enjoy, and, and French Accorda is is my choice for the Italian selection. Well, when you get here, we'll have to go to French Accorda together. It's not that far from Verona, and I I too am a bubbles all year and bubbles all day uh, kind of a person. They they certainly do go with absolutely every aspect of a meal. So fantastic choice in my opinion. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much, Shanika, for coming on today. I really enjoyed chatting with you and hearing about all the exciting things that you are doing and that. I know you will continue doing in the future. Very important work. And I know you will be a beacon to a lot of people listening and, and hopefully also to your clients. Thank you so much for your time, Cynthia. This was a wonderful discussion. Great pleasure. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods. 
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.